Father, we uh, come to you this morning and there's not a person in the room that doesn't know the truth of this saying. Life is hard. But help us not to just focus on that because the rest of that saying is life is hard but God is good. And uh, we tend to look at the problem instead of looking at the solution. We tend to look at the hardship instead of looking at the blessings. And uh, no wonder you told us that we are to give thanks in everything and we're to rejoice in the Lord always because it does something amazing for us. And it also strengthens our testimony and our faith in you. And uh, we sometimes act like faith is, well, when we come to the end of everything else, I guess we'll try God. And we don't want to be like that, Lord. We want to be the people that run to you. We want to be the people that have implicit trust in you. And uh, so, Father, please bless us. And as I was just talking to uh, Isaac's dad, Greg Queen, and he was telling me about his niece that has leukemia, and uh, things are rough uh, in that department. And we want to lift her up as a church body and ask you to help her, ask you to give the doctors wisdom, ask you to give her body the ability to fight this off, to withstand it, to uh, uh, take the treatments as she should and uh, at, sometimes the treatment's worse than the disease and we pray that you would bless in this and show your power and your grace I pray the same for Sammy and for all the people who are sick and uh, it seems like um, every time you turn around you hear about somebody who's struggling with their health and we just pray that you would help them Lord we know that when we read in the Bible you are a healer and we pray that as Jehovah Rapha, the healer, we pray that you would do things that would give opportunities for people to witness, that would testify of your strength, that would glorify you and build up our faith. And I pray, Father, that you would also bless uh, Bonnie Autry this morning and Steve. And uh, Lord, they're going through a rough time right now, and it seems like it just got worse. But that's not what you promised. You didn't promise all things work together for the bad. You promise that they work together for the good. Now help them to see that. Help them even today to experience something that would show them you're watching over them, you are with them, you're taking care of them, and you've got all of this under your control. And we pray, Lord, that um, in those times when we try to get in the way and we try to handle things for you and we try to make it to where um, you don't look bad, Help us to understand you can take care of yourself and you can defend yourself and you can glorify yourself. And all we want to do is to be that empty vessel where you can pour through your spirit life through us that touches so many other people. It's a messed up world. It's a lost and dying world. And we are here and you have called us to be here. You've called us for such a time as this as a church and as individuals, even as parents and as children, all called to live in this particular time. Now help us to do that. Open doors that no one can shut. Shut doors that no one can open. And we pray, Lord, that you would do it in ways that we could not even fathom. And we uh, open ourselves up, Lord, to you. And we surrender ourselves to your plan, your will, your purpose, and to your power. And we pray you would show yourself to be a mighty, glorious God. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.
If you would take your Bible this morning, 2 Thessalonians, 3rd chapter. We're finally moving on out of the 2nd. We're almost done with this book. And uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Now, uh, just to kind of set this up, kind of get the mind to flowing. Have you ever thought about how much the Apostle Paul taught us about the sovereignty and the control of God? He's the one that wrote Romans 8 and Romans 9. If God be for us, who can be against us? Uh, those type of verses, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All of those kind of things are all in there. And uh, those are the kind of things He calls upon us to really believe. But here's the question. If God's going to do whatever he's going to do, why should I pray? And what good does prayer do? And sometimes we like to, well, some people kind of give us the idea that if you will just claim enough scripture and have enough faith, you can force God to do something that he normally wouldn't do. You can kind of back him into a corner and uh, he'll come out and go, well, okay, if I have to, I'll do it. Does that sound like the God of the Bible? And does that sound like the sovereign God that you read about in the Scripture? Or do you find in the Scripture you have a God who has a plan and has the power to pull off that plan and out of love for His people, He gets involved in our lives. He provides things. He does things. Well, and Job would even remind us, sometimes He takes things, doesn't He? And yet it's always out of love. And it is always <coughs> for our good. And uh, the Apostle Paul, who spent so much time writing about this, have you ever wondered why in nearly every book he writes, if not every book, he asks for prayer? He wants the people to pray for him. So my question would be, do you value prayer as much as the Apostle Paul valued prayer? And if not, why not? If you're thinking, well, God's going to do what he's going to do anyway, what good does it do to pray? That is a very selfish approach to all of this. Prayer is not for you to get your will done on earth. Prayer is for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we've got to have an intensity about prayer and an understanding about prayer. And we've got to uh, make sure that we are thinking rightly about all of this. So let's start reading our text this morning. And uh, in uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, it says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. Don't you like that picture? That the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Now look at the third verse, and the first word that is there is a word of contrast. Not all men have faith, but, doesn't matter, the Lord is faithful. Somebody say amen to that. Because we forget that sometimes. We put our eyes on man and we look around and we see all of the problems, all of the junk, all of the garbage, all of the unfaithfulness. And we forget the key is, but the Lord 
is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you both that you do and will do the things that we command you. Now, may the Lord direct your hearts. How many of you need direction? How many of you struggle with that? May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. What's my destination? That's where I need to go. That's where I need to be. That's where you need to be. Into the love of God and into, I don't like this one so much, the patience of Christ, right? Patience. Give me patience, Lord, and I want it now, that kind of thing. And uh, we can't do that. Being patient means to, uh, macrothumia means to endure. And we've got to go through trials. We will go through trials. And we've got to learn our lesson in those trials. They're not pointless. God does not put you through a trial and say, well, cross your fingers and hope for the best, knock on wood, or anything like that. He puts you through the trial that he might glorify himself and that he might teach you, that he might strengthen you, that he might root some things out of your life that don't need to be there. And uh, can I say it like this? Just like you did with your children when you were raising them. God is a good, patient, faithful father. And he knows in your life and in mine things that are not good, things that don't belong, things that are detrimental. And so he puts us through some things to uh, weed those out and to uh, do away with them and to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about these uh, thoughts here in these verses that, uh, number one, this is a command and also it's a community. Now, let's explain that. It's a command. Well, that's uh, pretty clear. Finally, brethren, pray for us. He doesn't say, I hope you'll pray for us, or will you pray for us? He doesn't even say, every time you think of us, please pray for us. He gives them a straight-out command. Finally, brethren, pray for us. No option here. He knew he needed the prayer, and he knew they needed the practice, I guess you would say. And uh, so he puts that down for them. That's the command. Now, I think we all know that, and we'll talk a little bit more about these verses. But notice, he also does something else that I find very interesting and kind of refreshing. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it was with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Now, don't you kind of have the idea that the Apostle Paul could stand up to all of that? What does he need our prayer for? And that's the part that I want to say about the community. When you notice in these verses, he uh, makes it clear here that prayer is supposed to be... I've got some words written down on the next slide. Uh, it's supposed to be a priority. When he says the word finally, that's not just like saying in conclusion and uh, all of that, and then going on for a while. What he is saying is, it's kind of like uh, when your mom used to uh, leave, maybe she'd go to work, or maybe she went to a neighbor's house or something like that, and uh, she would tell you all the things that you were supposed to do. Remember that? Don't forget to feed the dog. Don't forget to make your bed. Don't forget to 
call so-and-so, don't forget, on and on and on she would go. And then if your mom was like my mom, she had to go over all of that again just as she was walking out the door. Now, I don't know why she had the feeling that she had to do that. Maybe it's because I had a tendency to not listen and to forget. And she would generally reiterate the most important things as she was walking out the door. Now, you remember, do not forget to do whatever that was there. And that was kind of my clue to know that's what really matters. You see that here? Finally, brethren, pray for us. You know what he's emphasizing? Prayer is a priority. And it certainly was for the Apostle Paul. It should be for us. We're living in desperate and perilous, confusing, weird, strange, ungodly times. We shouldn't be praying less. We ought to be praying more. We have our children and our grandchildren, in my case, that are going to be thrust into a wicked, ungodly, and confusing uh, world. They're very seductive in the way that they present all of the things that they are really into, and they want our children. Did you hear me? They want our children. You ought to be praying for your children's salvation more, not less. This ought to be the kind of thing where you pray for them not only to be saved, but pray for them to be sanctified. We want them to grow in the Lord. And we want them to be protected. We want them to be provided for. We want them to avoid all of the mess that's out there. Alcoholism, drug addiction, suicide, all of those kind of things. This is the time to pray more, not to pray less. We need to get serious about all of this. If God's really in control, then why are we talking to anybody but Him? We need to go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Let that sink in. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. How are you doing on the everything to God in prayer? Not just the emergencies, not just the tragedies, not just when you think you need it, but it's something that is to be a priority in your life. Someone asked Spurgeon, what's the most important part of uh, life, the Christian life? Prayer or reading the Word of God? And Spurgeon said, uh, well, let me put it to you like this. What's the most important part of breathing? Breathing out or breathing in? You've got to have both. got to have both. So think about priority. And uh, think about your mom giving you those last instructions. That's what he's doing. Think about the word unity. There's something special about this because Paul, would any of you agree that Paul just might be the greatest Christian that ever lived? Yeah, I would think so. Certainly close if he's not. And yet here he is. I mean, for crying out loud, he wrote Romans 8 and 9. Think about that. Difficult things. The Apostle Peter, Peter, the Apostle Peter, he's the one that says in his epistle that Paul writes things that are hard to understand. This is Paul we're talking about. Paul, a martyr for the faith. Paul, a missionary for the faith. 
This is Paul in prison for the faith. All of those things that we think about and admire and wonder how he did it. And what's he doing? He's asking for prayer. Let that sink in. He's asking for prayer. And who is he asking for prayer? These weak, puny, confused, baby Christians in Thessalonica. That's why I have the word unity down. You see, whenever you pray for me, you have a part in anything that I do. When I pray for you, I have a part in anything you do. Whenever we pray for other ministries and other ministers, we have a part and we share in everything that they do. And Paul needed their prayer. Now notice he had some practical needs that he was talking about there. There are people who are after us. There's nothing wrong with praying about practical needs. I heard somebody say one time that we really shouldn't worry about the practical things of life. Well, Jesus did when he taught us to pray. Give us this day our... What? Daily bread. How do you get more practical than that? He also talks about lead us not into temptation. Not that he ever would. But uh, he's saying lead us away from all of the traps of the enemy. And deliver us from the evil. In the Greek... Uh, it actually says, deliver us from the evil one. Satan, you know, we have those tracks that say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, I wish believers would figure out Satan hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. You need to be praying. You need to be praying for yourself and you need to be praying for one another. And even if you don't think they need it, pray for them. I'm sure the Thessalonians probably thought, Paul, I mean, why would he need my puny prayers? Well, he did. And he asked for them and he commanded them. And that was their opportunity to join in to his life and be a part of his life. We need to do that for one another. And there may be times when you are praying. Maybe sometimes you're just out for a walk enjoying the fresh air. And all of a sudden somebody's name comes to your mind. You know what I would suggest you do? Pray for them. Pray for them. They may be going through something at that moment that you can't even imagine. And then later on, con contact them and ask them a question like this. I was out walking and uh, all of a sudden you came to my mind very strongly. Is there something going on? Is there something I can help you with? Is there something I need to know? And they may tell you, no. You say, well, what was the point? You may be used by the Lord to get them ready for something that hasn't happened yet. And uh, so we need to be in tune with the Lord on all of this because Jesus is praying for all of us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Well, if he's praying for us and we want to be Christ-like, we ought to be praying for one another. There's a union in uh, all of this that uh, we need to uh, really understand and appreciate as Paul asked them to pray for him. Even the prayers of the feeble, the prayers of the immature, they matter. And we ought to be learning that discipline and learning uh, the power in all of that. Think about the word mission. Mission. You know, sometimes we uh, may pray for somebody and uh, maybe you're thinking about your Sunday school teacher. I hope you pray for your Sunday school teacher. And we pray something like this. Oh, God, bless. And then we name them. Is there anything wrong with that? No. No, not at all. Except that uh, Paul here is calling us to be maybe just a tad more specific. 
Now, why does it matter that we're specific in our prayers? Now, some people act like we have to be specific because if we miss something, God won't answer it. You think God doesn't know? You think God doesn't care? And uh, you think that if I prayed for somebody and I didn't get specific enough, God's going to go, well, I didn't get enough information. I can't do anything like that. That's bad theology, folks. Junk that. This is a God who already knows everything about every one of his children and he's already praying for them before you are you know what i think it is when you pray specifically lord i pray for uh we'll just say john and he needs a new job and lord he would really like to work since it's we're talking about john rosson he'd really like to work at the fire department aren't you thankful for john rosson and all the testimony that he gives and so I prayed for that. Let's say this is 20 years ago. And uh, then the next thing I know, I come to church. And Brother John comes up to me and he goes, You won't believe what happened. The fire the chief called me. And uh, I'm going to get to put in an application at the fire department. Okay? Now, if I prayed specifically, what does that do? Did that tell God what he ought to do? No. Did that tell God uh, the information he needed so he could bless Brother John? No. That's a good place to answer, folks. What did it do? It did something in me and in him. Because when we pray specifically, God give him a job with the fire department, and it happens, hallelujah, praise God. God heard my prayer, and God answered that prayer. Thank you, Lord, for that. And that's why we pray specifically, so we know when our prayers are answered. Now, let's uh, rewind that tape. Some of you need to Google that. And uh, we go back. What if all I had done that day is pray, God, I pray you would bless Brother John. And then he comes and he tells me he's putting in an application at the fire department. Well, that may be a blessing from God. It may be the worst thing that ever happened to him. How do I know? How do I put it all together? And so we pray specifically about these things so that we know when it happens and we can give glory to God. Not, again, I don't want to just you know beat a dead horse, but this is a living horse. God does not need information from earth. Earth to heaven, earth to heaven, we're taking heavy flag here, we need you to help us. Oh, okay, I'll send some reinforcements in. Now that may kind of happen, but it's not to inform God. He already knows what we need before we ask. So we pray specifically so that we can know when the prayer is answered and give glory to God. Now, what, was, what were they to pray for? Notice what Paul said, that the word of God may run swiftly and be glorified. Now, what if you prayed that for your Sunday school teacher? What if everybody in the class prayed that this next week for their Sunday school teacher? Do you suppose that God is interested in answering that prayer? Well, I don't ever get my prayers answered. Probably because you're praying for things that are not really in the plan and the purpose of God. You're more concerned about whether you can get the red Mustang. God's saying, I want my word to run swiftly and to be glorified. By glorifying the word, we mean that it will be paid attention to. 
We mean that people will hear it, that will, it will impact their life, that it will change their thinking. Because the Word of God is not very well thought of right now. So if we joined with the Thessalonians in praying for that, what if you prayed that for every service that we have? Lord, I pray for Wednesday night, and I pray that the Word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. You know, I've got a feeling that if that ever really did happen here, that uh, all of these chairs would be filled and there might be a line outside in the foyer. It's the kind of thing to where Paul said, we don't want to waste our time. We don't want to run in vain. We don't want to just be flapping our gums. We don't want to be just putting people into stuff where it's all academic and uh, they are just doing their best to, to hang on. There's a purpose in all of this that the Word of God may run swiftly and be glorified. That'd be a great thing to pray for a student camp this next week, wouldn't it? Great thing to pray for children's camp in a few weeks and for VBS. Oh, Lord, will you let the word of God run swiftly and be glorified? Let it become that priority. And then notice that, Paul, we have the word deliverance down. There are people that are after you. They are tools of the demons of hell, and they are assigned to you to try to make your life miserable. Get your eyes off of Jesus and uh, Paul addresses this here. Paul and his uh, team, they were in physical danger. And uh, they said, here we are. We've got people coming after us in ways we never could have imagined. You know, when I was, uh, Sammy and I were at Caesarea. And we looked down into that excavation that, uh, oh, it might have been, it might not have been Paul's prison. But it was something like that. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he withstood the heat or withstood the cold or how hard and how uncomfortable it was. I don't know how he did it. And yet he did it. And then in Philippi, he's singing about it. When's the last time you ever sang about your trials, your problems, your pain? When's the last time you ever got up and you had a visit during the night from uh, Arthur, arthritis and... Uh, Instead of griping about it, you started singing. Well, that's just not normal. I know it's not. It's a supernatural thing. And uh, Paul wanted prayer because he was going to end up in some horrible, terrible, uncomfortable, painful places. And he said, we need deliverance from these wicked and ungodly men because not all have faith. And so uh, that brings us to point number two. And this is why we pray the contrast. You will talk to a lot of people this week and uh, you're going to hear their opinions, their ideas, politics, sports, the environment, all kinds of things like that. And you know what it is? Just an opinion. And uh, it may be good. It may be bad. It may be biblical. It probably will not be biblical. And Paul gives us the answer to that. The uh, contrast here. What, is it? what did he tell us? Not all have faith. Then he says these wonderful words. But the Lord is faithful. And I think he's reminding us he's faithful, but we're not. There's probably somebody sitting in the crowd this morning that you were the most faithful member of Graceway this last week. But you still come far short of where you ought to be and where you know you ought to be. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. 
So you've fallen short. I've fallen short. And uh, yet we find one thing is true. The Lord is faithful. When we got to Israel and we uh, stepped off of that plane, and when I finally got to get through the airport and step on that ground, you know the first thing that came to my mind? The Lord is faithful. He promised that land to Abraham something like 3,000 years ago. And what's happened? It's been fulfilled. Abraham's children are there in spite of everything they've been through. And it even indicates in the Old Testament they not only would be regathered, but they would speak their ancestors' language, Hebrew. Did you know that Hebrew was considered to be a dead language? Not anymore. They're speaking it, and they are there, and they're secure in the land. And the Arabs have not been able to drive them out or to defeat them. They are amazing. You know why they are so amazing? Because of the promises of God. God is faithful. He'll be faithful to you no matter what age you are. No matter what your circumstances are. He is a faithful God. And we want our lives to be the testimony to our children and to our grandchildren to be this. You can trust God. You may not be able to trust anybody else. People will betray you. People will sin against you. People will let you down. But God is always faithful. Well, you see that. That's the point of all of that. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you. Establish means he'll settle you. He's going to take away all of your uncertainty. He's going to take away all of your doubts and all of your fears. You're going to be on firm footing, a firm foundation there. That's established. And he will guard you from the evil one. Now, it's interesting, we're commanded to stand guard against the enemy. But do we ever stop and think the Lord is standing guard as well? He's our shield, the psalmist says. He's our, uh, our sword. He's standing guard, watching over you. He sees the attacks you can't see. He sees the ambush you can't see. He sees the pain and the heartache they want to inflict on you that you haven't even thought of. The Lord will stand guard over you he establishes us and he guards us and thirdly i uh, want you to think about the word confidence where is your confidence now far too many people have confidence in themselves i've just got to be confident i've got to be strong i've got to believe in myself uh, to quote the old hymn the arm of flesh will anybody know fail you every time Every time. Every time. And we see that as we grow older. I had, a, I had a heart valve. I didn't do anything to it. And you know what it did? It failed me. They had to open me up and they had to replace it. I don't want to do that again. That's no fun. Why? Because that's the nature of flesh. Your mind will fail you. You ever had trouble remembering a name? You ever had trouble remembering a date? An anniversary? A birthday? Boy, with all ten of our grandkids, Sammy knows each one of them and their birthday. I don't even try. I don't even try. I'll just give you something in January and say this will be good for the rest of the year or something like that, right? Uh, you come home from work and uh, you notice that your wife is kind of dressed up and, and something's different. And then the first thing you go is, what did I forget? What am I not thinking of? And you can't pull it up. 
And uh, it always happens. Your mind will fail you. Your body will fail you. Your intellect will fail you. There's always something you don't know. And there's always a situation that you can't quite handle. But the Lord never fails. The Lord is faithful. And our confidence must be in the Lord. Listen to verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. Boy, that's what you ought to be thinking about with your children. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you. That's how you ought to pray for your spouse. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you. It's how you ought to pray for your pastor and staff. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you. Why? You sure can't trust us. Been a lot better people than us that have fallen away, right? And so the confidence has to be in the Lord, not in self or in any human. Both that you can and will do the things that we command you. So you think about obeying the word of God. How do we obey the word of God? It's got to be the work of God working in us. And if we just say, oh, we're all going to obey the Lord and we're all going to be what we're supposed to be. Well, have you made any vows you haven't kept lately? Have you made any promises to God that you hadn't kept up with? Have you ever made any commitments to someone else you didn't follow through on? Okay, Paul, I promise you, I will pray for you faithfully and regularly. Oh, my goodness, it's been three days since I prayed for Paul. You ever done anything like that? Don't look spiritual. I have. We forget, and the arm of flesh fails us. And that's why we have to have confidence in the Lord. Where is your confidence today? He is the one who is faithful, and we are not. I love 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, how many times does that happen? I don't understand why God's doing this. Well, I can't. I, someone said to me one time, well, I wouldn't trust a God who would do this. I wouldn't do this to my kids. Well, what a lack of faith. And yet we always try to humanize God and we try to put him in the context of what we would do. I don't see anything good in this, so you shouldn't either. I wouldn't do this, so why are you doing this? But God is so much bigger, so much further ahead of us that we can't even fathom. And it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Boy, that's good news. For he cannot deny himself. You are such a part of him that for him to be unfaithful to you means he has to deny himself. Folks, that's called commitment. And God has committed himself to you. Rest in him. Trust him. And pray like Paul did. And number four, the Lord completes what he starts. He completes it. He doesn't just walk off. You ever? I find that... Uh, as I get older, I may start a project and I may lay something down on the kitchen table and go, yeah, I'll come back to that and then forget all about it. You ever do anything like that? You ever have a thing to where you go, boy, I got to remember when I get home that this is what I've got to work on. I've got to change the brakes on the car and then forget about it. You ever do anything like that? We already mentioned forgetting anniversaries or birthdays or something like that. We kind of do that sometimes. And so uh, I love it here because when Paul writes about this, he reminds us that the Lord doesn't set projects aside. He's not setting you aside. He's not just forgetting 
to make you holy. You say, oh, well, wait a minute, Brother Greg. What about where it says, Paul talks about, I buffet my body so that I am not disqualified or set on the shelf. Well, that doesn't mean you're not going to be glorified. That doesn't mean you're not going to be in heaven with the Lord. It just means opportunities are gone right now because of your sin. And that's something that ought to terrify all of us. But he's still going to take us to heaven. He's still going to make us like Christ. He is still going to complete what he started in us. Think about, uh, now may the Lord direct your hearts. You need any direction for your heart? Well, the Lord will do it. Don't follow your heart because you uh, trust yourself. No, you need to have the Lord direct your heart into the love of God. Ever doubted that lately? And into the patience of Christ. And so God, we find here, he's, he's active. He's not passive. He doesn't just shoot in the general direction and say, oh, that'll do. Close enough. Can you imagine? What if God just took your life, aimed at the target, and it hit one of the outer rings, and he says, close enough, they're not all that great anyway. No, I'm telling you, God hits the bullseye every time. And when God finishes with your life, you will be amazed at what he has done and how he has made you. And Paul's praying for that, joining with God in his plan, praying for them. He's active and not passive. And uh, direct, I'm going to direct your heart, he says. Not just simply wish for it. And then I think of Philippians 1.6. Does God just simply cross his fingers, knock on wood and say, well, hope for the best. Hope they can pull it off. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Are there any failures in this room? Huh? Any disobedient people in the room? Are there any people who have just, you knew better, but you just did the wrong thing anyway? Yeah. You know what? You've got something going for you, and that is God. He said, I'm not leaving it up to you to complete it. I will complete it and today you ought to get on your knees before God and say thank you Lord that it is not up to me uh, I heard somebody say if salvation could be lost I guarantee you 100% I'd lose it I'd take it out and play with it I, I had a teacher tell me one time Keenan if brains were marbles you'd take yours out and play with them another teacher said if brains were gasoline you uh, couldn't propel an ant's motorcycle around the inside of a Cheerio. I mean, these are affirming people, right? Well, what do you think would happen if my salvation were left up to me? To keep it? You ever lost anything? To keep it? To present it before the Lord? My, my goodness, what, what happened? Oh, I can't seem to find it here. Uh, show your salvation identity card. Uh, I, I, know, I know I had it in here. Uh, it, it was here Good night. Now, what have I done with that thing? That would be me. Get out of here. You don't have your card. If it were left up to me, I would lose the race. I would be incomplete. You ever in college get an incomplete in a course? I did. 
That would be me. So Paul says, God's not going to leave it up to you, and he's not going to leave it up to chance. He is going to complete what he started in you, and all God's people said, amen to that. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you're trying to run the race. You're desperately trying to be good enough and trying to keep up with other people. You're trying to pass some because, well, that always looks good if I could pass some people and make myself look better and finish a little higher in the race. And the Lord would say to you today that the race has already been run and won by the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the cross of Calvary, he died and he paid for our sins in full. And he said, it is finished. There's nothing left to be done. Nothing more to be done. And all he calls upon you to do is to repent of your sins. I say all. That's the hardest thing you'll ever do. And then to put your trust in Christ and Christ alone as your salvation. To surrender to him as the Lord of your life. For if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And he will not abandon you. He will not leave you by the wayside. And he will finish what he started in you. And you will be absolutely amazed at what he does with little O you. So to the praise of the glory of his grace, could we bow our heads and close our eyes together now? Lord, as we think about you, and we think about the work you do through great people like the Apostle Paul, and yet Paul called for us to pray for them. And I pray we would never put prayer down as it doesn't matter or it's no big deal or God's going to do what he does anyway. Oh Lord, may we join you in your work through prayer. And I pray, Father, that as we find discouraged Christians that they wonder if they're ever going to make it. Help them understand it's not a matter of them making it. It's a matter of Christ doing everything necessary to complete in them what he has planned. And thank you, Lord, that you are so loving, so diligent. Thank you that you're still working on us. And thank you, Lord, that even the things we cannot conceive as being good, you work them together for our good because you're conforming us to Christ. Thank you for the promises of your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to fulfill your promises. You will never betray us. You'll never leave us. And so today we give you glory and we give you honor for who you are, what you do, and what you are going to do. Renew us as people of prayer. Draw us into prayer like never before. And answer our prayers so that we can give glory to your holy name. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.